0: I use that word. What characterizes the act of genocide is when you play a deliberate role in the death of a population on a massive scale. It's not the word that interests me, it's the concept. And the concept is this, responsibility for deaths that could have been avoided. Former President Dilma Rousseff, To The Guardian Brazil, April 10th, 2021 Politics of Pandemics Episode 22 Just a Low Flu Part 4 Over 30 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 and over 662,000 deaths as of April 25th, 2022. The cost of COVID-19 has been extremely high in Brazil as we have explored in the past 3 episodes. Today We close this mini-series on the infamous Jair Bolsonaro, the man who, through his denialism and inaction, is a major reason for the rough two years his country has gone through as a result of this pandemic. Given that his actions run directly anathema to most sensible measures against COVID-19, it is no wonder that many people within Brazil and outside have accused Bolsonaro of implementing a deliberate strategy of herd immunity to force natural immunity upon the people of Brazil and, maybe, kill off some of the weak and undesirable along the way? This is the question we'll be exploring today through investigative reports and a contentious Senate investigation that has dominated the political scene in Brazil. And finally, we will look forward to that important election in October 2022, when Bolsonaro intends to be elected a second time as president. Bolsonaro had always been unpopular and his pandemic performance has dragged his approval down to new lows. But can he pull out a surprise win? Can he find a way to play dirty? Or will one of the other popular politicians Bolsonaro has warred against wrest the presidency from him? I want to circle back to the report called Rights in the Pandemic, that we mentioned previously. Released in January 2021, it became just the first of many, many reports, damning the Brazilian president for deliberate malice in the pandemic, and to specific groups. To quote Connectas Directos Hermanos and the researchers at the University of Sao Paulo who authored the report, quote, The results dispel the persistent interpretation that there was incompetence and negligence from the federal government in the management of the pandemic. On the contrary, the systemization of data, although incomplete due to the lack of space for publishing so many events, reveals the government's commitment and efficiency in favor of the widespread dissemination of the virus over the Brazilian territory, clearly stated as having the objective of restarting economic activity as soon as possible and at whatever costs. We have previously detailed how local and state governments have often implemented their own measures to fight the pandemic, local lockdowns and mass mandates, as well as having to organize their own vaccine drives. But where assistance is needed from the federal government, like medical supplies and some form of national plan. Bolsonaro has not only refused responsibility, his government has actively blocked states from carrying out measures, like when Bolsonaro blocked Sao Paulo Governor Joao Doria from purchasing vaccines early and delaying the vaccine program by about a month, or not addressing oxygen shortages to Manaus, instead pushing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and other unproven treatments. The report itself details other examples, like Bolsonaro vetoing a project that offered financial compensation to workers incapacitated as a consequence of their work in containing the pandemic. Quote, The hard and high-risk work of prevention and fight against the pandemic is discouraged, while failure to act is stimulated. But alongside this obstruction of governmental work is, quote, A political discourse that mobilizes economic, ideological and moral arguments, besides fake news and technical information lacking scientific proof, with the aim of discrediting public health authorities, weakening public adherence to health advice based on scientific evidence, and promoting political activism against the public health measures needed to contain the spread of COVID-19. The president is always the loudest voice in the room, and Bolsonaro repeating falsehoods and fake news for years muddies the waters making attempts at public health even more difficult than it already is. A majority of Brazilians ended up taking the vaccine, yes, but a plurality also took ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. More dramatically, we saw how a riot by Bolsonaro supporters forced Manaus to cancel a lockdown on Boxing Day 2020, which led to the horrific COVID-19 wave that bred the gamma variant. And when the established order, like the courts, defy Bolsonaro, he attacks the establishment. This is part of a larger pattern attacking the judiciary, the state, and unfriendly state and local governments. Obstentially because they struck down his orders or criticize him or are just trying to implement something that he doesn't like, like mass mandates and vaccine passports. Those just became individual salvos in a larger assault against Brazilian democracy and institutions, one that many Brazilians fought and died for to create, after a decades-long brutal dictatorship. Bolsonaro's supporters often take to the streets in loud proclamations of support for their man, sometimes turning violent. There was even talk of an insurrection in September 2021 model after the January 6, 2021 insurrection in Washington DC in support of US President Trump, though thankfully that did not happen. For a report released so early, many of the points raised remain valid even now, in mid-2022, because Bolsonaro is never someone who admits wrongdoing or easily changes his mind, even in the face of overwhelming evidence. He just surrounds himself with adoring fans and street rallies. Meanwhile, the chorus of criticisms and cries for help grow louder and become harsher, as more and more figures use terms like genocide to describe what Bolsonaro is doing, which is probably why, in April 2021, the Brazilian Supreme Government ordered the Senate to investigate the government's handling of the coronavirus crisis. The request to create a commission, or CPI for the Portuguese acronym, was filed by the Amazonas Senator, Senator Randolph Rodrigues, in response to the ultra-devastation his state went through during the gamma wave. While it was filed in early February, the order by the Supreme Court to investigate the pandemic response came only in April, and it was handed out minutes after the court upheld the rights of local governments to close houses of worship as part of lockdown measures, something Bolsonaro was challenging. These decisions would further drive a wedge between him and the judiciary, and would also start a contentious political and media circus that would keep criticisms of Bolsonaro's tactics in the news for six months. One of the lines of questioning was something that came up repeatedly. Were Bolsonaro's actions incompetence or, as the CPI put it, an attempt to implement vaccine-free herd immunity done on purpose. A cruel Darwinian ploy to weed out the weak and undesirable in Brazil through hundreds and thousands of deaths can the people be stronger as a whole. While we know now that people can and have contracted COVID-19 multiple times, the disproven idea of natural herd immunity is something that many denialists still point to. For Bolsonaro, it is alleged that the spread immunity, belief, and many other denialist ideas were pushed by a shadow cabinet. According to testimonies, including those of Luis Mandetta, Bolsonaro's first and fired health minister who resigned over disagreements on COVID policy. That shadow cabinet, or parallel cabinet, as some translations call it, included people like federal deputy Osmatera, Dr. Nis nice Yamaguchi, and Carlos Wizard, fringe figures who fed Bolsonaro ideas he wanted to hear while superseding his actual cabinet and experts. Despite being a doctor, Osman Terra has been one of the key proponents of Bolsonaro's anti-pandemic policies. Right from the start, Terra downplayed the severity of COVID-19, saying on March 18, 2020, quote, This epidemic, in my opinion, is going to be smaller and with much less damage to the population than the H1N1 epidemic for example, an opinion that he has repeated again and again and never retracted. Tara advocated for Avermectin, opposed any lockdowns, and consistently and wrongly predicted the pandemic would end in a few weeks or months. Most importantly, he advocated for herd immunity, dismissing the idea that the virus would mutate or that people would get infected repeatedly, and declaring that the pandemic would end without the need for vaccines. That was in late 2020, as Bolsonaro vetoed an early purchase of vaccines from China. He also said in September 2020, thanks to herd immunity, the Amazonas state would not have a second wave of COVID. We all know what happened next. Like Terra. Nice Yamaguchi was also a doctor who advocated for hydroxychloroquine and thus managed to get Bolsonaro's attention. Both she and Tara were both speculated to be candidates for health minister anytime the last one left. Neither actually got the job, but Yamaguchi was one of the several doctors and officials that drafted a COVID 19 policy for Bolsonaro, one that included hydroxychloroquine and other improvement methods, superseding the actual health ministers and experts. According to the CEO of Anvisa, Brazil's health regulatory agency, Yamaguchi was at a meeting to implement the change in the package insert for chloroquine to combat COVID-19. These are just a few of the many witnesses that appeared in front of the panel, which became a circus both within and outside the halls of power. Pro and anti bolsonaro Senators quibble publicly over the points of the testimony over whether witnesses lied and should be arrested, over the actual existence of the parallel cabinet feeding Bolsonaro alternative ideas. Dr. Yamaguchi and the Health Ministry's Secretary of Management and Labor, Myra Pinheiro, testified as well. Both advocated an early treatment regimen that included chloroquine, and Yamaguchi claimed people who advocated for the baseless treatment were politically persecuted. Contrary to her claims, Some doctors who advocated for the more conventional treatments and measures often testified that they were shut out, their requests ignored by the government. Jair Bolsonaro, of course, never testified. Throughout the course of the six-month investigation, he denigrated the panel as politically motivated that it was a joke. At one of the many rallies that he held through 2021, Bolsonaro declared that only God would take him out of Brasilia putting on a brave face against his falling popularity while he threatened the democratic institutions of Brazil. In July, while in the middle of the investigation, Bolsonaro said, They want to accuse me of genocide? Now tell me, in what country have people not died? I am skimming a lot with regards to this long investigation, like the accusations of corruption and the minutiae of negotiations regarding vaccines and other supplies the senators did not though and in the end produced a nearly 1200 page report detailing and at the end produced a nearly 1200 page report detailing all the crimes bolsonaro and others under him have committed through the pandemic the report charges bolsonaro himself with 10 counts including crimes against humanity as well as dozens of charges against his allies and his sons also politicians. While the report removed references to genocide and homicide that were part of earlier drafts, the document still made some bleak accusations, many of which we have detailed before, but someone knew. Like how the Butantan Institute in Sao Paulo, the largest vaccine manufacturer, the largest vaccine manufacturer in Latin America, offered the vaccines repeatedly to the government and was turned down or how evidence of corruption in one vaccine procurement contract was presented to Bolsonaro and summarily ignored. In short, Bolsonaro and his administration, quote, admitted and opted to act in a non-technical and reckless manner in a fight against the pandemic, deliberately exposing the population to a concrete risk of mass infection. The report, which recommended charges and impeachment, was presented to Attorney General Augusto Arras. At the end of October 2021. Arras, being a close ally of the president, did not charge him with anything. This was expected by almost everyone. But the real purpose of this panel was to lay bare many of the facts regarding Bolsonaro's COVID policy and to ensure Bolsonaro's denialism isn't the only voice in the room when it came to the still ongoing pandemic. The panelists were more blunt, like Senator Renan Carrejos, said, it is the responsibility mainly of this president, this serial killer, who has a death compulsion and continues to repeat everything he has done before. Bolsonaro was quick to repeat everything he has said before, and upon the conclusion of the report, declared the report biased. Quote, they label me as genocidal, charlatan, document forger, and exterminator. It is absurd what these guys have done. I'm sure that the fact that he was not charged with anything was marked as a win by him and his supporters. This is far from the first time Bolsonaro has been threatened with charges or with impeachment, but nothing has ever come of it. His son, Flávio Bolsonaro, openly laughed when asked about the report. In the long three years of his presidency, Jair Bolsonaro has weathered every attack, and while extremely battered, he is still in power but the cpi may have hardened political opposition against bolsonaro or at least energized it and in that respect it may be the single biggest blow to us 2022 re-election prospects Let me make two caveats before I continue. First, an obviously unpopular candidate can still win the election if their opponent is even more hated, or if political machinations work in their favor, or if some political shenanigans are afoot, like how Bolsonaro won the first time. Second of all, it is still extremely early days for the election being held in October 2022, which, as of the writing of the script, is five months away. Third, looking at the trends for Bolsonaro's job approval, there was a notable decline beginning from January 2021, so Bolsonaro was already suffering politically even before the CPI, but the panel likely suppressed any support he may have regained through the duration of the inquiry. But the panel likely helped suppress his support to an all-time low. While always a polarizing figure, over half of Brazilians rated his performance as bad or terrible for the first time on March 29, 2021 in a Poll data survey. His popularity would stay underwater for the next several months. The numbers also gave credence to a repeated refrain that Bolsonaro's core base was only 20% of the population, with that number giving him a positive review in a December 2021 IPEC poll the lowest ever rating. All of Brazilians opinion polls have a neutral option. Bolsonaro's popularity has recovered somewhat in recent months, but at 46% disapproval as of early April 2022 versus around 25 to 30% approval, he is still deeply, deeply unpopular. The 2022 presidential race in Brazil is a crowded field as is to be expected of a multi-party democracy no longer dominated by one party. We met a few of the key aspirants in earlier episodes, like Joe Aldoria, the Sao Paulo governor who feuded with Bolsonaro over vaccines and COVID-19 policies. But once former President Lula Silva announced he would campaign for president for a third time after being barred in 2018, he was the only challenger that matters. Still a popular politician despite Operation Car Wash, every single poll has put Bolsonaro behind Lula by a significant margin. This is again not to say Bolsonaro can't win. Like I said, we have many months to go. Brazil, like the rest of the world, is slowly recovering from the pandemic thanks to a 75% vaccinated rate and a 30% boosted rate. Bolsonaro has actively impeded the vaccine progress. but he is likely hoping that voters would forget about the trauma of the last two years. Under the slogan of Brazil above everything, God above all, he intends to make Brazil remember why they voted for him in the first place, with appeals to God, pro-gun rhetoric, and flaunting a strongman image. His support is cultural, celebrating Bolsonaro's brutish rhetoric while still painting the image of an everyman. To quote a right-wing figure hyping Bolsonaro up. They paint him as a monster, but increasingly people realize he's nothing of the sort, that he's a simple, common, good person. Bolsonaro is a celebrity, a football star, Well, COVID goes unmentioned and ignored. Reminds you of someone further north, doesn't it? The motorcycle rallies, despite rivaling Sturgis in the United States in terms of their size and party atmosphere, hides Bolsonaro's deep unpopularity. It also obfuscates the fact that Bolsonaro has lost allies, either true political defections or deaths. Joao Doria, the Sao Paulo governor, was a former ally until COVID-19 came along, as were his health ministers. As for the man commonly cited as Bolsonaro's mentor, he died of the very virus he consistently claimed was not dangerous at all. Bolsonaro has always been portrayed as a product of the military regime, and constantly advocated for a return to those dark times when democracy was non-existent and leftists were tortured and killed in mass. But it would be unfair to characterize his supporters as all pining for a military dictatorship, especially many of the younger people who weren't even alive in 1984 when the regime fell. Just like many other countries, the far right in Brazil evolved and modernized. Driven by conspiracy theories and a fervent fear of liberalism, they take the older ideals that Bolsonaro's generation had of fervent anti-communism and rabid misogyny and gave it a 21st century sheen. Rather than reject the old type of conservatism, they repackage and rehabilitate the ideas of former pariahs and resell them to a brand new audience. One of these elder statesmen, so to speak, is Olavo de Carvalho. Born in 1947 in Sao Paulo State, Carvalho was a well-known right-wing conspiracy theorist who spread wild ideas for decades. He claimed climate change was a hoax, that Pepsi used the fetuses to make their drinks. He was anti-vaccine before the COVID pandemic. And being fervently homophobic, he claimed AIDS wasn't a risk to heterosexuals. There wasn't a conspiracy that he didn't like, and while he remained on the fringe during the years of Lula and his socialist government, Carvalho enjoyed a surge in popularity as the corruption, scandals, and recession imploded the Workers' Party in 2016. His book, The Least You Must Know to Avoid Being an Idiot, sold hundreds of thousands of copies. After Bolsonaro was elected, the new president made his first speech with that book next to him which led to people calling Carvalho Bolsonaro's mentor. It is a title Carvalho himself rejected. Carvalho was obviously into COVID conspiracies when that pandemic started, repeating talking points similar to Bolsonaro and much of the global far-right. He died in January 2022, according to his estranged daughter of COVID-19. When Carvalho died, tributes poured in from the people he influenced, including Bolsonaro's son Eduardo. He and his brothers, Flavio and Carlos, were all politicians in their own right. Eduardo and Carlos in particular are prolific social media users and actively stoking their father's far-right base, organizing and attending its events as well as attacking their father's political opponents like a Greek chorus. Eduardo has been active in courting US-based right-wing organizations as well, who have really been the guiding light for Brazil's young conservatives. Eduardo attended the U.S.-based Conservative Political Action Committee, or CPAC, a annual conference that has become a must-attend event for Republican politicians and right-wing media figures. And when CPAC held events overseas for the first time last year, they chose Brasilia and Budapest in recognition of Bolsonaro and the Hungarian illiberal leader Viktor Orban. Eduardo was in attendance for both. Meanwhile, traditionally conservative media in Brazil have largely turned against the president over time, due in part to his disastrous response to COVID-19 as well as his persistent attacks on democratic institutions. After all, Bolsonaro is just one flavor of conservatism in Brazil, and they can pine for stability as old-school conservatives do. In response, this new far-right has turned to social media as well as apps like Telegram and WhatsApp. Telegram in particular, with its encryption, large rooms, and unmoderated forums, has become extremely popular, especially amongst fringe politicians and figures who want to spread their views without the interference or pushback from more traditional news media. Bolsonaro and many far-right figures have even made a home in one of the several right-wing social media experiments opened by Americans as an alternative to Facebook and Twitter, with official Bolsonaro accounts on Telegram, Parler and others. There's a rather large network of Brazilians on Getter, Trump's social media site and Parler. If this sounds awfully familiar to anyone who knows American politics, that's because the way the right wing in the US built themselves from Donald Trump has become a template to Bolsonaro's base. Borrowing not only the infrastructure, but also the basic ideas and the rhetorical style, the far right have created a self-sustaining echo chamber that keeps their base loyal and muddies the waters for the larger landscape of Brazil. Which is why, no matter how many scandals he has or how many people he has killed, a large minority of Brazilians will never abandon Bolsonaro. The question now is, is it enough to keep him in power in October 2022? As I have repeatedly hinted, the upcoming election of 2022 will be the most important one for the country since the end of the dictatorship. There is a fear that Latin America's biggest democracy may not be won for long if Bolsonaro or his supporters decide to fight the results, currently skewing against his favor. Or if Bolsonaro actually wins fair and square, and solidifies his administration not as a fluke brought on by a massive scandal but as a permanent political force that changes the country forever. This is important because, for many, the COVID-19 pandemic isn't really over. Many indigenous peoples, deep within the Amazon, long discriminated against by Bolsonaro's administration, are still unvaccinated. The residents of the favelas are still struggling. Despite touting the economy repeatedly, millions under Bolsonaro have suffered. Supply chains have been permanently broken, as many are left to fend by themselves. The virus is still around, still lethal, and will be around, and if Bolsonaro is re-elected, we may hear about horrific COVID-19 waves again and again in the country for years to come. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. For correspondence and corrections, please message me on Twitter at polypandemicpod. I also have a Patreon now, which you can help me support the show at PolyPandemicPod. No member of rewards plan yet, but I will thank you at the end of the show if you do contribute. Regardless, I would like to hear from you, your story of dealing with this pandemic or any disease, and if you like any suggestions for future topics you would like me to look into. I apologize once again for any mistakes, truncations, and pronunciation errors I have made in the preceding episode. And finally, get boosted, wash your hands, and always be critical of any information you consume, including this podcast. Thank you.